Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landway. All right, welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm really excited to welcome the Crypto Commons Hub, and um, I'm stoked to jam with you guys. Yeah, I thought maybe it's, it's useful to just, by way of getting started, to introduce each of you, just introduce yourselves, and then introduce the Crypto Commons Hub, and then then we can dig in. I think there's a number of exciting topics you know, we we're talking about uh, commons and commenting and some of the political economy and um, possibility of that and the, you know, unconference that you guys are just on the cusp of. And so it might be fun to hear, you know, probably listeners will listen to this after that's happened. Or certainly people will be listening to it after that's happened, but you can speak about maybe what you're excited about. And then this will be a little artifact to look back and and see what manifested. So, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you both, and and grateful for your time and all the great work you're doing there in Austria. So, I'll, I'll pass it over, and uh, you guys can do a quick intro, and then we'll dive in. Right. Uh, thanks so much uh, for having us, Greg. Um, I'm Felix. Um, me and Julio, uh, we uh, co-founded the Crypto Commons Association last year. And just briefly on my background, I am doing my um, PhD in political science and sociology on uh, the political economy of uh, crypto commons. And now lately we're talking more about ReFi, but to me, there's a big overlap between uh, blockchain for good, crypto commons and ReFi. It is always in the end the question, uh, what is there more than private profit? Um, is there some benefit to the commons? Uh, do we produce public goods of some sort? And, and how do they function? How do they uh, interact uh, with markets uh, or coordinate through markets also internally? And I think that's the novelty of, of crypto commons as opposed to, to legacy commons that try to fence out the market from, from internal um, interaction. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my work. I was born and raised in Vienna, and we're now one hour south of Vienna in the mountains. Um, yeah, in my spare time, I, I enjoy nature as far as possible. Um, mountaineering and skiing a lot, and I generally like to, to build stuff, especially with wood. Um, and yeah, all of that combines uh, pretty well in, in my work here in the Crypto Commons Hub. Hi, thanks again for having us. I'm Giulio from Italy now living in Spain. And since many years, I have, a, I have a background in sociology. I got interested in the vast array of new technologies that are being developed, despite being very critical of the current uh, mainstream financial uh, system, let's say, or mainstream neoliberal capitalist system, I want to call it. So I started um, mapping all the branch of innovations that were that are emerging in the last years, like uh, platform cooperatives, uh, blockchains, of course, digital commons. At the same time, I also worked and got interested in the normal non-profit, the traditional non-profit sector, the pre-digital cooperative sector. And um, it was always exciting to see all these kinds of social uh, innovation happening. But I struggled with um, funding, with uh, having uh, young, uh, competent uh, tech expert people. And when I met Felix, I was studying the crypto commons and see all the um, capital flowing in this space to related to things we, we well know. 
um, financial speculation and so on. And this new experimental thing of the markets applied to the common good, I was like, oh, finally, there is something that is merging the traditional sphere of no profit and social, uh, social economy with more advanced technological uh, and financed uh, technologies. And so we decided to, to launch this. And we are focused, of course, on the intersection between crypto and the commons, but uh, we are including in, the, in our perspective all the other uh, social, social technical innovation I, I mentioned. Um, regarding me, I know I like, uh, I'm interested in almost everything except for uh, football and cars, maybe. <laughs> and yeah, I, lo I love finding connections between things. And my first project we before this was called The Connective. And I'm bringing this uh, uh, mission of connecting, uh, in this case, the crypto world with the long uh, historical existing common movement that we know exists in centuries uh, in a way or another. And that's it. Yeah, exciting. Well, um, thanks. Thanks to both of you. And yeah, I guess there's a number of different topics to explore. But first off, just to sort of shout out my interpretation of the experiment that you all are building there at the Crypto Commons Hub related to creating a physical gathering space uh, or a hybrid physical digital gathering space to really enable exploration of the this this sort of suite of topics, right? And uh, specifically, I know um, I'm bummed to not be there in the next few days, but I know you're just about to start hosting the Refi One gathering with a bunch of folks from all over. And, and I know you all are also an event that I was also bummed to miss. Um, this is the challenge of international, <laughs> uh, just like, you know, multi-local living, I guess. Um, but the, the other event that you hosted was focused on, I forget what it was called, right? Your launch event in which like Common Stack and the Common Engine folks and... That was uh, the Crypto Commons Gathering. The Crypto Commons Gathering. Last year, end of August, beginning of September. And yeah, with, with Common Stack, uh, Block Science and... A pandemic. <laughs> and a pandemic. Well, we're, we're still in the pandemic. Um, <laughs> although, yeah, it, it, it feels a bit lighter now. Um, it feels different. Everybody's just given up. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but that, yeah. that gathering was... Um, after that gathering, we didn't have the plan of continuing this and making it a more permanent association and then also um, running the house here as a hub this summer. But then... The gathering itself was uh, a quite magical moment, I'd say. Um, and most, if not all of the participants were very happy to be here and, and already, uh, you know, voiced interest to come again and, yeah, continue uh, on this journey with us. And then during the gathering, we decided to, yeah, make it a permanent thing and give it a try this year to run the, ho uh, the house as a hub uh, throughout the summer. But yeah. maybe before we dive into into uh, specific uh, things, events, and so on, could I maybe just very briefly give uh, uh, an overview of association and its different uh, sections or, or activities? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. And where I was going with that was going to be, you know, after we tie that, uh, after you sort of give us an overview of the association, 
I was really wanting to dig into what are you learning about space creation through yeah. these events and how are you applying that to the upcoming one, you know, and, and future subsequent ones, just sort of more sort of like what, what is the learning process around be, becoming the host of a movement? So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, t tell us, let's start with just sort of like unfolding the design around the Crypto Commons Association, and then we can get into the role of gatherings and what you're learning about um, becoming a gathering space. Right. So our idea or, or the drive behind the Crypto Commons Association is to give, um, I'd say the, the progressive side of crypto, a harbor and an environment to uh, become more than a loose community. So we are interested in turning, uh, well, first consolidating um, this sphere or this subsection of crypto um, at, as a community to, to come self-aware. Uh, but then also trying to facilitate the shift from community to movement um, and to, to help organize uh, this space a bit more and get our voices heard. Because to me, and I think also to, to Julio uh, and to others, it happens a lot that in the space you find people that are actually looking for this, but don't have anywhere to start from, and then are often lost uh, in a sea of... Um... <sighs> Use kind words. <laughs> Use kind words, but um, yeah, right-wing libertarianism and um, atomization and you and the market, plus scams and rug pulls and whatnot. And we try to to build a counter um, pole to this, mm -hmm. and also to to combine different narratives into a meta narrative uh, that can give the whole. Uh, well, our take on, on crypto and what is possible with this uh, for our world, um, more upside and more visibility. And also, um, from a more um, operational point of view, this is the general vision. We would like to, first of all, make this the first Crypto Commons Hub post-capitalist uh, experimental template in which we do, I don't know, permaculture, uh, renewable energies. Uh, it becomes a self-sufficient entity. And also, um, we would like to start uh, implementing um, to, to be a, a node for decentralized services of any kind. So, you know, region, cosmos, decentralized storage, what else? Because if, if this works, it can be really a, a step forward for all the places in the world that uh, wants to be more autonomous, more self-sufficient and more connected with the others. So our ambitions are huge. <laughs> now we try to be a more... Uh, with the feet on the ground and also literally um yeah like so that is the cca uh, at large and now our our different uh, fields of activity or or other means means to get there on one hand of course uh, the hub itself uh we're trying um to build here i'd say on the one hand a venue for events but on the other hand, also, um, I, I'd like to think of it as an experimental playground for all these uh, new technologies coming up um, in relation to, to crypto or to decentralized ledgers, decentralized energy um, systems, governance mechanisms, governance uh, technology, definitely. So we want to, I mean, and many of them are, are not there yet quite to be to be used and mass but that's that's okay we want to 
try and encourage to to deploy them in the here and now because um, it needs experiments uh, to get to mass usage, and we want to wildly combine these uh, various uh, inputs and see see what of them uh, is is us- useful for for a space like this. Honestly, also um, we started with organizing broad thematic events because there is so much happening and it's so fast and it's so complex and so experimental that uh, we are a bit overwhelmed ourselves. So we just thought of bringing interesting people together with their projects and their uh, ideas and knowledge. And it was really successful because a lot of people also in this place that is very tiny, it is less than a hundred projects, I think, much less. Most of them didn't know of each other, so we're also very happy with this uh, matchmaking work. We really like the idea of having this uh, human network of relationship underlying this global distributed network of uh, projects that do crazy stuff. Uh, so we have many thematic events in, a way in, in order to grasp all this complexity. Right. So maybe just briefly, the events, the main events we're doing this year is the Refi Unconference, which is happening now from the 30th of April until the 6th of May. Then we have uh, the Hourverse Hackathon, which is exploring alternative and open takes on the metaverse from the 3rd of June until the 12th of June. And then uh, after summer, towards the end of summer, from the 27th of August until 2nd of September, we're going to have the second edition of the Crypto Commons Gathering. And then we're thinking about a fourth event potentially in late September. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be a more explicitly leftist event. Uh, that working title is uh, Red Hot Crypto Autumn. Uh, but we'll see about that. Um, and these are our events, but. Um... We have to say that for projects that want to organize their own events in our hub, there is this possibility. Being there more or less uh, near to our teams, I mean, it doesn't have to be. Of course, it is better, but if you want to organize an event on a very specific thing in a... What if I want to organize a a crypto libertarian um, Bitcoin maximalist event? (laughs) (laughs) And we would have some fun discussions. (laughs) Awesome. No, I think I think uh, politically, well, there are some um, restrictions. Definitely, um, we would not. I personally would not uh, permit any any sexism, racism, um, or other nasty behavior. Um, so there yeah. are clear uh, rules on that. But else, we don't want to be too prescriptive. We're, yeah, we're definitely gonna have a lot of intense discussions on that, and maybe <laughs> I can change your mind. Change my mind. Oh, if you are the Bitcoin maxi <laughs> coming to our place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. At some point, I kind of want to double click on that thread because I think there is really an interesting conversation, like an interesting and an important conversation. And, and you guys are sort of explicitly taking sort of like creating similar to the uh, Blockchain Socialist podcast, which I know a lot of the episodes were... Um, or there's a series of episodes from that podcast that were interviews from the Crypto Commons event, right? Um, and there's the uh, film that's being made. So there's sort of like this explicit exploration of the political spectrum of expression of 
state machines or consensus mechanisms or digitalated governance systems. So I think that's an interesting thread probably to tug on a little bit. I'm curious, just, just to go there for a moment, I, I guess most people would presume that Bitcoin has sort of a Austrian school of economics, libertarian sort of objectivist vibe. <laughs> so if we just take that for granted without deconstructing whether that's true or not, if we just say that's true, that that's, you know, there's a set of assumptions there and that's true that Bitcoin has those things. What do you think the left needs to learn from Bitcoin and the sort of codification of libertarian values into a state machine in order to be relevant, you know, in this moment in time, in this sort of like giving birth to the post-capitalist era? It, nothing? Is it purely just trash? Or is there something there that's really important to synthesize and to sort of like incorporate into a new framework for understanding commoning and community coordination mechanisms? <laughs> I was... I, I will start by saying that uh, we don't like or use the term uh, left so much anymore, not because there is no more any left or right. It, the, the difference is clear and it's getting polarized, but because um, it has to be reinvented and there will be so much changes happening if the new left arise, I think, that we have a very open approach in considering what is left. And we basically focus on promoting... Uh, positive uh, collectivistic values, let's say, broadly, cooperation, social justice, inclusion, and not much on how the single organization of person define itself. And we surely don't say, oh, we have to be, we have to have this value for enough of this to, to, to be included in our activities. All right. I would like to add to that. So I tend to think of the people that I want to, to, want to approach or want to give a harbor to as somewhat post-leftists usually quite disillusioned by the legacy uh, political system and by political parties, and especially in Europe, uh, the left political parties that just uh, voted on a terrible and somewhat ridiculous bill that just shows that they thoroughly do not understand DLTs and crypto economics. So coming back to your question, first of all, I would like to understand the left, that it's not so easy to legally outrule Bitcoin and be done with it. Uh, that's not how it's going to work, uh, I think. And protocols are new realities that are emerging and left can choose to ignore them. But then these new realities will be shaped without any leftist input or they can choose to engage with them and search uh, for how to inscribe better politics than uh, into Bitcoin. So I would like the left to, to understand this as an invitation to come up with something better and not just outright reject it. Yeah, and I add that, um, I mean, for example, we are quite both very critical of Bitcoin, for example. We don't like it very much. It's very polluting. It's a, it's a monetary paradigm we don't like. But the question is, in this moment, do you really think that Bitcoin people are the problem? I mean, to me, it's important to identify um, what are the priorities in terms of systemic change and which are the most damaging uh, actors that I think is clear that this is the 
I mean, if you watch that pollution data, inequality, economic, economic inequality data, the, the amount of power in the system, it's clear that there is a very, very, very tiny elite that is influencing the system too much. And that is clearly the problem. I think that from a leftist perspective, everything that is not that, it shouldn't be like super friend, but uh, at least like uh, we are in the same plane because I mean, Bitcoin um, people are the opposite of a commoners, I think, in terms of uh, perspective, but they are um, bringing an influence in the financial system that is not at all significant. All the new blockchains, they have their problems, but they are developing uh, objectively super innovative and super uh, useful infrastructures. And, and we can't know what they will become in five, 10 years. So while it's experimental... Or, or what comes after them. I, yeah, We had a quite good discussion yesterday uh, where we were mapping um, concepts of uh, autonomous uh, Marxism um, onto uh, what we see emerging in, in the cryptosphere. And especially onto uh, the the subfield that we are working in and working with, and that was starting from realization that most well that blockchains, um, that cryptocurrencies, all pretty much follow uh, commodity money um, ideals. They want to be digital gold, be sound money, ultra sound money, basically, yeah, rebuilding gold. Um, in the digital and uh, that this comes already with uh, implications that you can't really get rid of afterwards. And these are not aligned with, with the commons. However, these layer ones um, still give us um, the opportunity or give, give projects that we want to work with, which are more uh, mostly grassroots built and community oriented, smaller projects that you don't find in the top 50 or 100 on on coin market cap um, usually, but it gives all of them uh, a new substrate to start organizing and experimenting with new organizational and economic forms. And there is already some, uh, or still, there is some antagonism between many of small projects and the big layer ones they're sitting on. But these layer ones are, for now, a good space uh, to, to start building the multitude, if you want. Um, and organizing multitude and giving it new tools. But then as soon as um, other substrates might be ready and other substrates that might use uh, different forms of money that might open up uh, more towards credit money um, or a more explicitly a money of the commons, I guess that much of the multitude that we see emerging now will be ready for Exodus uh, to escape or well yeah to move to other platforms because the mechanisms um that are being designed are usually platform agnostic and this is actually the, the longer term game that we want to to support and facilitate and why is also why we tend to invite uh monetary uh theorists and activists uh, to our events to have this discussion on on different forms of money and their political um political economic uh implications and also, I would add that um, it's true that the, the projects in our ecosystem are yet um, not many and little in terms of economic significance, but actually they're the ones that are more, uh, they're developing more attached to the real communities, uh, local economies, existing uh, monetary innovations. So, and, and that is quite, I would say, the opposite of uh, 
standard blockchain projects that are started in the blockchain and now they are looking for real uh, applications real economies uh, and so on so i think uh, that we if you consider our uh, market let's say of our uh, audience or, or uh, allies we are um, yeah in a good position to to bring the, the good of the blockchain in the real world and I, i'd like still to add to this that um groups that have already been around physically or before uh using uh, uh blockchain to to organize themselves they have already developed uh a subculture that uh lends itself to commoning uh usually and that uh is generally uh um well it was long overlooked i think now in last years it becomes more and more obvious that you can't code away uh politics and you cannot create a culture easily out of nothing um this is a process that uh takes time and um only functions uh that, that works horizontally and yeah this is uh, something that we definitely want to to strengthen and uh deepen also here in the hub where we try like the ideal here in the hub would be to run the hub as a commons and we are ourselves trying to find out what that actually can mean and to what degree uh that is possible now and in the future i want what uh, only one thing in terms of the left and the blockchain that is more um it's, it's a boring puntualization but it's still very useful to do it because um, many people on the left don't understand this that uh, is the role of markets to mention at the beginning because it's understandable that is comprehensible that uh, the left now is not catching up with all that is happening on a technological level that is not uh, easy to understand you have to <laughs> take two years of reading stuff and speaking with people to make sense of it but at the level of basic economics if you see um, economic anthropology and economic history markets have always existed and they always have uh, provided value to communities much more than to the powerful now we are in a historical phase when the market has many problems and we are relying too much on the market and on commoditization of things i mean that everything is on the market is not a completely good process but on the other side yeah one you cannot avoid it because markets are exploding and the vast majority of people still rely on markets to exist so it's a thing and there are good coordination mechanism uh, yeah in, and, in settings yeah and capitalism is not markets because usually right. people think that if you don't like capitalism because you, you don't like markets but actually capitalism is the opposite of markets because capitalists just want to get rent out of things and get monopoly and yeah to me get the state power to yeah. me capitalism are uh captured markets with uh oligopolies or monopolies and the use of political power to assert these uh, monopolies or assert this power and to sketch out a bit better our post-capitalist vision um that we base on different kind of readings we won't touch in details now but uh, basically if you look at the most uh, successful or powerful capitalists today they are all based on the opposite of market competition because in, for example let's take only the west economics all the major digital platforms want to be or already are monopoly monopolies or duopolies so they uh, they work because they take in all a single market and all the traditional capitalists are uh, struggling because now capitalism is very struggling to make profits out of uh, 
the constant process of commoning that is happening in society, that is all things uh, lowering costs. So now uh, that uh, technology is becoming uh, super cheap, uh, organizing and communication costs are super cheap, capitalist uh, response is just that to try to, to obtain monopolies. Yeah, withdraw to rent seeking. And in every market, you see there is too much competition, so it's very difficult to to be a su- successful capitalist. Yeah, to draw well. profits from yeah. production. So it withdraws to, to finance and to rent-seeking. Yeah, not to mention Otherwise. that all powerful capitalists immediately bend the rules to their favor, so it's not fucking... Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's not a free competition if you are playing with the rules, no? So just to play devil's advocate for a moment, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that, but, but I want to dig in and maybe get some more precision is there a space between generating network effects and building a monopoly? And is it true that these big tech companies are actually monopolies? I'm just thinking of like Google or Facebook, neither of which, I mean, I use some Google services. I use more Google services than I do Facebook, but I don't, for instance, use a Google search engine. I use DuckDuckGo. And all of the services that I use from Google, they're like calendar service. And sometimes I get on a hangout and all these other things. And I also use like iCalendar and Zoom or like every single one of the services I get from Google, I have alternatives to. And I oftentimes hear people talk about Google as a monopoly or Facebook as a monopoly. And I'm just curious, like in the digital world, what does a monopoly mean? It's not as if they control all of the railroads, right? That it's not as if they control, you know, the flow of all of the wheat so that they can uh, manipulate the price for people's bread. Now, I'm not claiming that there aren't lots of troubling things and that there isn't market capture and dynamics, but I'm just wanting to be precise when we use you know, so my initial question is, what's the difference between generating network effects and being monopolistic? And and are these companies really monopolistic in the traditional sense? Or is there a new, is this morphed <laughs> into a new digital monopoly, you know, form? <laughs> oh, it's very complex. As a... It's, a, it's a tough question. Um, yeah. So network effects and monopoly, um, starting the abstract. I think... We have to take an historical uh, lens, I think, because digitalization is a new thing in history, and it has proper uh, characteristics that makes these monopolies or giant platforms different than all monopolies. Because, for example, I think, um, okay, let's take put it bluntly. Ideally, I mean, all the major monopoly or giant platforms are sitting on a global commons that they privatized while it was forming, no? Because, for example, search engine should be a common infrastructure. And it's, contri- and it's actually a common because billions of people contribute to it, but there is one actor mainly profiting from it, that is Google. And the same for Facebook, no? Yeah, I, I would like to say something about Facebook. Facebook uh, really, in my opinion, um, Facebook created a platform that... Uh, allows a global commons uh, to emerge. Why do people use Facebook? They use it because their friends are there, because you have a social commons, a social space. that, uh, and, and you go to Facebook because you want to read the commons of your friends and interact with them and, and get the content that is user-created, and that is the commons. But at the same time, Facebook, um, as a centralized uh, entity, builds this platform 
to uh, siphon off value from these commons and also uh, manipulate these commons uh, in ways that um, value extraction is maximized. And these central uh, choke points or, or uh, points of value extraction are what makes these platforms specific and, and anti-commons in a way. Um, so because network effects also would be conceivable in a commons, but then um, you wouldn't uh, protect uh, the value of it. Like, for example, you could take you could export your content, you could export your list of friends, which is now a huge problem. I guess that many people are still on Facebook just because they have their uh, 1,000 friends there, and it's just almost impossible uh, to import export them one by one and migrate to um, an open communication uh, platform. So, uh, I mean, I... So I let's parse that a little bit. I mean, I, so I agree that that's definitely a core... I guess I would agree that there's a first principle there of like how we um, can organize crypto economic communities or maybe just business <laughs> first principles of good business or something. You know, I think digital doing this digitally and using blockchains, I'm obviously all in on that. But there's maybe something more foundational, which is just around voluntary association and the ease of exit. Like if I want to choose to leave, I can leave. And if I want to choose to join, I can join. Um, and I can bring as much value as possible. Obviously, there's like a whole, you know, you got to like reason that through. <laughs> but in the digital world, it shouldn't like data can be replicated. So let's like that's let's do that. But for me, I still want to push on. There's got to be a better word than monopoly because the value, it's like the network effect value that makes me want to use Facebook to connect to my, you know, wow, it's cool. There's all of the people, you know, it's like my high school friends and my college friends and my, which I don't relate to those people anymore in my day-to-day -day life, but they're all there. I can just like, they're click away. That's so great. There's value, right. That I earn or that I get from that. I think what's insidious is that in, in exchange for that, <laughs> you know, a digital model of me is built and I'm the product that's being sold to, you know, advertisers essentially. So that when I go to Facebook, they do their best to like get me to click on something and buy a new pair of shoes or a new thing or whatever it is that they think I need. And I think there are maybe other economic models, but the, the crux of all of this seems to me around commenting, you know, like to bring it back to the sort of common interest here, how do we deal with risk? And risk, what I mean by risk is it takes a lot of effort to start something new. Like th there was never any assuredness that Facebook was going to become what it became. It took a whole bunch of energy, you know, like hard work and energy and maybe, you know, <laughs> bad behavior and unethical things, you know, to cut corners and whatnot. But how do we subsidize fund risk? How do we give upside for success, right? How do we empower initiative and creativity? How do we embrace markets and market success, right? Like that, 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 
providing a great service into the market is celebrated. And this this is the reconciliation, I guess, that I would I'm seeking, which is that I'm all in on the coordination, public goods, cooperation, um, looking out for community side of things. But at the same time, sometimes I listen to people who are on the right in quotes. And and again, I, I think it's probably useful to throw these. <laughs> I agree that it's probably left and right. Maybe it's there's maybe a more multi-dimensional analysis that we could be looking at. But I hear the oversimplified version of what I'm about to say is anybody who succeeds, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, we should applaud because they've succeeded in bringing massive value into the world. And that's why they're being valued. And that's perfect. That's not what I'm saying, really. But to anything, there's a kernel of truth, right? Which is that they've, that they have provided, they've innovated and they're providing some massive society changing innovation. We can't just look at that and sort of be like Bernie Sanders and be like billionaires are just the problem, right? There's something that's the problem. There's like a, there's like an overaccumulation of wealth and then the manipulation of power, right? But also there's something there which is sort of like <laughs> creative, transformative services being rendered to people um, in a positive way. So what's the reconciliation there? Like what's the What's the, what's the way that we re-embed markets into commons and we both celebrate entrepreneurship and creativity and innovation while also reconnecting that with healthy community and care and reciprocity? And maybe that's just the big question that everybody is iterating around. May I rephrase, try yeah. to rephrase that. Um, what is post-capitalist uh, entrepreneurship? And how should it be rewarded or um, incentivized in? And investing, you know, and investing and exactly. How do we reward one another and celebrate each other for the successes and the gifts that we're creating, right? In a way that also doesn't lead to distortion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't have a conclusive answer to this uh, question. I think we're exploring it in little steps uh, here and there. One thing that came to my mind that we were talking about yesterday as well, uh, is that already the, the ICO boom in, well, 17, 16, 17, 18, uh, was an innovation on that. It was like ICOs allowed us to, to kickstart new projects, raise lots of money upfront, um, and then produce public infrastructure in most cases, produce uh, open source uh, totally. mechanisms that are now being repurposed, that are being wildly forked and combined and, and so on. And uh, maybe maybe the initial token doesn't have any value anymore. But this model of creating a new uh, economic space and creating its currency as the first step, and then only afterwards creating the actual economy that is going to use this token, allowed for a lot of innovation, uh, new forms of entrepreneurship, uh, also rewarded um, plenty of the early investors. Uh. So is, is a, you know, is, is Ethereum post-capitalist or is it giving birth to post-capitalism? You know, and it does I not just Ethereum. I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't a, think a, that it's going to be 
the ultimate layer one that we will settle on. Yeah, but that is due to my uh, concerns with with commodity money at large. Yeah, it definitely allowed for so much uh, experimentation uh, with this new paradigm. And it just gave so many uh, small projects, uh, well, ideas initially, gave uh, them the funds to start something new um, and to, to develop mechanisms that will be used also outside of Ethereum. Uh, so for that, definitely it was a, a step in the right direction. Like to me, to me, Ethereum still is uh, distributed capitalism as and, and the whole like my issues with commodity money or with with digital commodity money are that capital can just big capital can just withdraw to um, staking and to liquidity provision. And just by providing these two services can continuously and almost without risk, continue to extract value. And I would hope for a substrate. Hold on a sec. Before you keep going. Necessary anymore. What's the ratio, though, between value provision and value extraction there? Because arguably, staking and liquidity provision both also do provide value. They provide efficiency, you know, market efficiency, liquidity, opportunity for people to enter and exit. Without that, that's a and there's risk associated with that, as well as with staking, right? That there's network security. In both of those cases, there's like utility being generated by that capital. It isn't. So what's where's the line with rent seeking? Like when does it when does it become? Is it you know is it is it automatically rent seeking? Is it rent seeking if it's earning more than a certain ratio to the liquidity? You know, and is there an alternative way to pr- produce those goods that, that or that service which allows people to enter and exit? Because arguably, both of those functions, staking and liquidity, are key attributes of avoiding a tyranny of network effects. Although they also <laughs> can produce their own network effects, but they allow people to come. You know, they allowed people to move between different forms of value if they choose. Yeah, I think. For the systems we have now, both these services are necessary. Yeah, I wouldn't for now um, call uh, the ones providing liquidity and and, and staking, uh, well, network security, um, necessarily just extractive capitalists, as many of them are also involved in, in producing new mechanisms, uh, new frameworks, and, and so on. But I do hope at least, um, to see in the next decade or so uh, other other architectural designs that um, provide security without uh, proof of stake and that hopefully also uh, find other ways of, of, of providing market liquidity other ways than liquidity pools and um, yeah, basically bonding curves over which you exchange. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> Take a little step back a morning and a little bit more in the abstract. I mean, if you look at um, capitalist organizations today, big and small, but especially big, uh, it's clear that uh, not all the stakeholders, including uh, ecological health and the planet, are rewarded the same or damaged or rewarded the same. So to me, the general process that we should start to, that we should continue to promote is that uh, the value generation goes to the stakeholders and to all of them. Of course, there can be some asymmetries and 
it's okay if they the entrepreneur that took the risks take more value it's okay but now we are very far from that and if you look at any corporation for example they um, most most of the time exploit workers they never pay for uh, externalities for example because we, ne- we we are not paying the products for the ecological ecological damage they produce because as you well known is still not inscribed in the, in the economic incentives so in this sense i think that the blockchains as felix was saying now are uh, decentralizing and uh, better rewarding the stakeholders in the monetary or financial uh, dimension and that is very good of course again it's not our ideal or our point of uh, arrival in our um, long-term vision but uh, it's a positive process because it's giving more value to the people that actually create it and it's uh, lowering the power of um, big capital owners despite i mean there are processes that we are well seeing that bring that are reinclosing this process to toward the capital others but there are well other blockchains for example the cosmos blockchain that in this sense is much more uh, open and uh, i will listen to your podcast when you say that um, you really care in the cosmos ecosystem there's really a tension around the the possibility of exiting from the system without paying if you don't like it so if it's a win win it's okay let's do this if it's a win lose i can go out and usually today is never the norm it's never the rule so yeah i think that almost all the blockchain projects in this current moment are going in the re- direction of better uh, rewarding uh, stakeholders and decentralizing yeah. power i would like to add two things on the one hand um this ease of leaving is something that sets uh, these systems apart from facebook and google who basically and that is part of their well maybe monopoly is not the right word but they do try to create lock-in effects and um make migrating as hard as possible and that uh doesn't happen that much anymore uh in crypto networks uh, that is definitely good i would like to still add on my point about decentralized uh, distributed capitalism that this is already a huge step forward i think uh because there is a theoretical uh but also empirical question then whether capitalism as system can sustain itself if we are all first class citizens so if there are if there is no superior power that would now be the state and its crony uh capitalists that can draw on the power of the state to bend the rules according to their uh will right in in crypto everyone is a user and full stop we all have the same rights and um depending on 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 which scholars on on capitalism and capitalist evolution you would read some of them so uh fernand uh, brodel um who makes this point on markets have been around much longer than than capitalism and capitalism is actually captured markets or limited markets would argue that as soon as this legal differentiation or the two two classes or several classes of people with different rights in the system falls apart and we are all uh we all formally have the same rights eventually inequality would would get smaller because now uh the biggest uh, inequalities are not uh do not derive from from Let's say different skills uh, in being an entrepreneur or, or having the best ideas and so, but they derive from uh, legal discrimination of some to the benefit of others. 
And this we don't have in distributed capitalism. Yeah, totally. Well, um, I'd love to keep diving in on all of this. I'm We're just bumping up against the end of the hour here, um, which is what we had slotted. But let's... Um, I'd love to circle back around and chat again after the refi summit and uh, get the, get the deep dive of what emerged there in this and other conversations of, you know, brilliant minds and and good hearts coming together to explore all these questions. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for the work that the Crypto Commons Association is doing. So thanks for thanks for doing that and thanks for hopping on the podcast with me. All right. Thanks so much for having us, and and thank you very much uh, for the generous uh, support uh, that we got by region. That was really it came in a crucial moment, and it made us uh, really jump um, head on into this. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, super glad. Yeah, I'm glad to see it sort of coalescing, and it's really important to have spaces to explore all of this, uh, all these, and create a new vision. And I'm excited to jam on permaculture and uh, who knows, maybe crypto commons association, eco credits and validator nodes and all the things. It sounds uh, really exciting. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.